Our gospel reading this morning comes from John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most beautiful passages of all of Scripture to me. One of my favorite passages, certainly in the book of John, if not the whole New Testament. And we're talking this morning about the idea of unity about belonging to one another in community and what that looks like and how that is itself a spiritual rhythm that leads to the spiritual health not only of the congregation but to its individual members. And so as we begin to do that, let me pray for our time together and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that my words, the meditations of my heart uh, would be pleasing to you and would be helpful to all of those who are here. Wherever we're coming from this morning, whether we have significant doubts about your truth, about your being, about who you are, about whether you exist, or whether we have believed for many years and we are confident, Lord, I pray that you would meet us. Would you take a step towards us and let us do so in return? Let us find peace. Let us find rest. Let us find joy, for we all sorely need these things. And we believe as a church that they can only be found ultimately in you. And so, Father, would you, as we think about, as we consider what it means to be united together as a church and united to you, would you let us find those things in you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this illustration may be lost on anyone that's younger than I am, but it's going to come from the 1980s, The Breakfast Club. If anyone remembers that movie, one of the best uh, John Hughes movies, one of the best movies of the 80s. And it's Saturday detention, and these five stereotypical teenagers have been sentenced to detention for eight hours. There's the popular girl, there's the goth loner, there's the jock guy, there's the nerd, and then there's the stoner. The popular girl and the jock guy um, generally run in the same circles, but they aren't necessarily close. The stoner and the goth girl know all of the same people, but aren't really friends. And the nerd doesn't really have friends at all. They all treat each other with this suspicion. And the only time that they seem to find common cause, initially at least, is when they are gathered as four, picking on the idiosyncrasies of the one. Their unity at that point is found in what Freud calls the narcissism of small differences. That is, exploiting some fault that they don't happen to share in order to feel superior to the other person. 
And this all happens at, the very, at a very superficial level. They perceive each other as so different and worthy of criticism, not because they know each other very well, but because they don't. But as the day wears on, they have more opportunities to see how each other ticks. Each of them has a moment of vulnerability, a moment where they let their guard down and the other four get to see in these circumstances who they really are and they begin to realize that though superficially they couldn't be any more different, who they, under, who they are underneath their disguises is a very similar person with similar fears, with similar challenges, needs, ambitions, and hopes for life. They find common cause against hypocritical authority figures. They find, dare I say, unity, not in the small things that made them seem so different, but in the extraordinarily powerful things that they hold in common. Jesus calls His people into a community who are very different from each other in very superficial ways, but He gives them a foundational identity that is far greater and transcends all of those differences. He leaves behind a community made up of people who are very different from one another, who are finding unity in His grace and in His mission. And they find all of the things that would normally be barriers to friendship being undermined and becoming less and less important. And He accumulates in this community what will eventually become the church, a wide variety of gifts and strengths and perspectives and talents in order that it would best be able to embody the good news that God is a forgiving, redeeming God who is remaking the world. These unique qualities that each person brings, the talents, even the idiosyncrasies are important and they're actually vital, but they're not what builds unity. We're going to say three things about unity this morning. One is, first of all, unity is about who we are before it is about what we do. It's about who we are before it's about what we do. Verse 22, Jesus said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I have given them glory. Glory is a manifestation in the Bible of God Himself, not just a revelation about Him, but His actual presence. That is what glory means. And Jesus shares in this glory because He is the eternal Son of God. And He has now given that glory, you see, to His followers. And in part, this refers to the revelation of the Father, which He has made known to His disciples. But this revelation brings them the knowledge that it is a participation with God in, his, in God's own eternal life, that they are united to that, that they are given his glory. Jesus says He has given His followers divine glory in order that they may share in divine oneness. And what we know from that, what we learn from that, is that unity is not a human achievement, nor is it brought on by human strategies. Unity is, first of all, a function of identity. It's a function of relationship. And Christians are the ones, those who have been made participants in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and are united to Him spiritually and relationally. 
This kind of unity that Jesus prays for is modeled on this unity that He has with the Father. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. It's a breathtaking comparison that those in the church would experience and participate in the kind of life that God the Father has with God the Son. This eternal, intimate, mysterious, non-man-made relationship. We see, on one hand, you already have this unity if you're a Christian. In a spiritual sense, you have been given this unity. You possess it. A few chapters before ours, Jesus described Christians as united to Him, that He is the vine and that Christians are the branches, that there's this organic connection between the branches and the vine. It's not because of our ingenuity. It's not because of our hard work, our piety. It's simply because you are connected to Jesus through your confession of faith and belonging to Him. All of us here are sons or daughters. We are parents or children. We're brothers or sisters. And we are those things despite oftentimes our behavior, our choices, our, st- our sin. You're still a member of the family that you're born into. And some of the most beautiful pictures of Christ's relationship with His church and of this unity that He's talking about are those comes through those families who are dedicated to their relatives no matter what. The dad who picks up his daughter from rehab for the third time. The brother who takes in his sibling who's lost everything because of a gambling problem is saying, I'm here for you. I love you no matter what. I don't approve of your behavior, but you are my blood relative or my kin as we say in the South. And there's nothing thicker than that. So, on one hand, by being a member of the family, you are you receiving that unity. You're in union with Jesus, and you're united then with all of those who belong to Jesus. But on the other hand, you're being called to live out something that you possess. Jesus prays that we might, as a church, grow into this unity. Verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It's something that you possess, but it's also something that you grow into or can grow apart from. One of the best TV shows on right now, I think, is Rectify on the Sundance channel. And I've waited for the third season to be complete so I can now binge watch through the whole thing and not have to wait for it to come out the next episode the next week. But it's about a guy who has been on death row for the murder of his girlfriend. And he has to reintegrate into the culture of this small Georgia town because he's been let off. He's been let off of death row or out of death row on a technicality. And the show's producers, the writers, they don't let you know for sure whether he did it or not. And that's part of the appeal, part of the fun. But what's also interesting is his mother and his sister, as could be expected, are rabidly committed to him, no matter the guilt or the innocence. And they pay a price for being related to them, to him. He's their blood relative, and so in many ways they live under the cloud of suspicion in this small town that they inhabit. Their family business begins to fail because they're associated with Daniel. 
Their family systems are struggling under the weight of His presence. Their unity is crumbling. He's blood. He's kin. He's united to them no matter what. But His actions reflect upon them. They begin to destroy the unity that that family once had. They bring shame upon the family. You see, the the essence of the family doesn't come to an end, but the experience of of the unity that that family once possessed is lessened. The church is supposed to be a community that is seeking one another's glory and bound together by mutual love and honor, but it takes effort. It takes abiding, as Jesus says, abide in me. And it takes, and this is tough, it takes a willingness to subordinate our own preferences, our own convictions, even our own rights to pursue the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about. So first of all, unity is not primarily about what you do, but it's about who you are. It's relational. And then secondly, Unity is rooted in truth and not sameness. Unity is rooted in truth and not sameness. It's rooted in the truth of the gospel itself. Jesus prays, my prayer, and this is in verse 15, which we didn't read, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by what? By truth. Your word is truth truth they are sanctified you are if you are a part of the church you are sanctified that means set apart by the truth by the truth by the gospel and sometimes we unite we set ourselves apart by the wrong things right a grandmother relates a story a conversation that she had with her granddaughter my granddaughter was telling me that she and her three playmates all attended different churches. And then she added, it really doesn't matter if we go to different churches, does it, Grandma, just as long as we are all Republicans. <laughs> and that goes the other way too, right? Unity does not equal uniformity. It's, unity is not found in the fact that the church prays the same, dresses the same, votes the same, parents the same way, sends their kids to all the same type of schools. And if there's that sort of unanimity in a church, something's wrong. It's not because of Jesus being Lord. Something else is ruling that church. That's not the sort of unity that Jesus is after. Look at the the stained glass, this beautiful stained glass window. By themselves, each piece of glass fails to give you the full picture. And if you press up close enough to the glass, you can't see the picture. All you see is the individual pieces and what, they, what color they are. They all look very different. But if you back up together, they create this beautiful picture, this beautiful portrait. The uniqueness you see is valuable because without the unique pieces of glass all being different shades and being put in different places, there's no coherent picture. But they're united in their differences by the vision of the artist, by the creator who made that. They all maintain their uniqueness, but their uniqueness becomes valuable insofar as they're set in a setting by the creator, by the artist. One theologian said, the church is made up of natural enemies 
What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. They are people that are very different, that have been brought together, and because they are united to Jesus, they form a beautiful mosaic. Their uniqueness is valued, but it's drawn up into a larger, bigger picture. Unity, first of all, is not what, but it's who. Not what we do, but it's who you are. Unity also is found in truth and not sameness. And then thirdly and finally, unity is a means, not an end. Unity is a means, not an end. Twice in verse 21 and 23, Jesus says that oneness, that unity, is a means to something else. That something else is His mission. He prays that His people would be one so that the world might know, might believe that Jesus is the sent one. And when the church loses that missional outlook, it inevitably focuses and fixates even on secondary things. The comedian Emo Phillips tells a story of two Christians meeting each other. The first one says, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And the other one responds, well, I'm a Protestant. The first one, me too, what branch? The second answer is a Baptist, me too. Then he said, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist, he replied. Me too, the man shouted. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist? Right on, me too. Northern conservative fundamentalist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He replied, Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the first one said, die, you heretic. God has established a that a community be the means for fulfilling His purpose. When it becomes all about the individual, when it becomes all about you or I, where you feel best, where you feel safest, where you feel most comfortable, you actually become a consumer who goes from place to place never finding a final home. But when you sign up for mission, you experience this unity that Jesus calls you to. Your preferences, your ideologies, your theological predispositions, which aren't central to the cause, which aren't central to Jesus' mission, which aren't central to the gospel, are assigned a lesser value. You don't camp out on those things. You may hold convictions, but they don't cause you to break fellowship or cause you to look down on someone because they don't share those things. One of the problems that the church faces, not just in town, but the church as a whole, is our unwillingness to do that. We are certain about far too much. And so we balkanize into smaller and smaller denominations over things that are farther and farther away from the center of the gospel. It's not good for the mission of the church. It's not good for your spiritual health or my spiritual health. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're exploring faith, this may be one of the reasons that you haven't bought into it yet, that you're standing on the outside looking in, is this lack of unity, this separation, the fact that 
the church seems so divided and also oftentimes so divisive. And I I would invite you to to consider that the church does often often fail to live up to what it has been called to. We're not as compassionate. We're not as just. We're not as faithful, gracious, generous. We're not as united as we should be. But please don't reject Jesus because we fell up, we fell to follow him as he's called us to live. And perhaps maybe you're missing an astonishing unity that the church does possess. When you look at Christians living in first century, first century Macedonia, fourth century Rome, ninth century Ireland, 16th century German, 20th century Turkey, 21st century China, there is a remarkable unanimity on the basics of what it means to be a Christian. There's something extraordinary about the fact that there's this shared understanding of the gospel across cultures, across a multitude of historical periods, across languages and customs. And this is true because as we read in our New Testament reading that we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. All. We are all baptized by one Spirit and into one body. We belong, if you're a Christian, you belong, not because you have it all together, but despite the fact that you don't. You see, Jesus unites you into His body, His one body, by His declaration by His grace, by His giving you glory. And the response to this sermon, perhaps then, would be to practice this unity, to respond to that givenness of grace by coming to the table, by coming to the table and partaking of His grace together. That in coming to the table, in showing up here on a Sunday morning, we are practicing unity because we are admitting our common need for grace by remembering that you are baptized into one body and given one spirit to drink. And so I invite you to come to the table putting nothing in the way of someone else finding grace there and let nothing stand in your way either. And as you come forward, maybe you can ask these questions. Maybe you can consider, where am I falling, failing to pursue unity with my brothers and sisters, either here at in-town or wherever you call home as a church. Or maybe in light of the forgiveness of Jesus, what He has granted you, who do you need to forgive? And whose forgiveness do you need to seek? Or maybe you can ask, what things, what ideas do I hold on to so strongly that they hinder unity in the body? Jesus prays for His people to live out and practice oneness, the unity that they've been given. And that oneness is found in a shared confession of faith, which we will do momentarily, and in a shared table. And I invite you, if you belong to Jesus, to come and participate in this meal along with those that belong to in-town. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you are still exploring, you're investigating whether all of this makes sense, whether it can be true, whether you're ready to call yourself a Christian, if you haven't taken that step of faith, if you haven't been baptized into the church, then don't feel compelled to come to this table. But let it be an invitation. 
Let it be an invitation to Jesus and to receive His grace for the very first time. Let me pray now for our meal. We'll confess our faith, and then we'll participate in, this, in the table together. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank You as we have been able to look at this passage. We pray that we would not just be inspired by unity as an ideal, but that we would actually seek it, that we would pursue unity that we would find ways that we as individuals are contributing to disunity and deal with that. Not, so, not simply to maintain an institutional unity, but for our own spiritual good and our own spiritual harvest. I pray that you would change us as we eat of your body, as we drink of your blood, as we say all together that we are together in sin and together in grace, that you would let us see each other as equals equally needing your grace and equally having received it. And we pray that you would take these elements and make them to be for us the body and the blood of Jesus. Amen.